We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Stay tuned as usual to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Yaro Starik, co-founder of Inbox Done, a virtual assistant service for managing email. All Yaro knew when he started university in Queensland, Australia, was that he didn't want a traditional job. It was the late 1990s, and the internet was opening up new, exciting opportunities. Yaro created a website on Magic the Gathering, a competitive card game, and made a modest income by selling cards in the days before PayPal even existed. Within a few years, he launched another business, offering translation and editing services to students whose first language wasn't English. This business grew to the point where Yara could make a living. From there, he tried blogging, eventually also growing that into a business where he offered courses around blogging and ultimately building Blog Mastermind and the Laptop University Academy. As a busy entrepreneur, Yaro was spending a lot of time answering emails. He decided to come up with a way to delegate these tasks, which helped him to build a business while freeing up more of his time. Eventually, he decided to develop the system he set up into a business idea. He invited one of his assistants to co-found this new company, Inbox Done, which has grown to now having 45 team members working for CEOs and managers around the world. In this episode, Yaro and I talk about how to build a service-oriented business, the challenges of scaling, and the power of delegation. Now, let's get better together. Yaro Starek, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jari. Nice to meet you. I'm just so glad I got the name right. <laughs> <laughs> Because you were right, you were telling me it's all about Game of Thrones, and I'm like, oh, it's got to be Game of Thrones. He's a Game of Thrones guy. Like, 
no, Jari, say the name right. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind Stark. <laughs> they were they were the good guys, right? They I think were. They most were. of them were killed, but yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want that. Yeah. You are um, you're actually the co-founder of Inbox Done, uh, which helps people manage their inbox. And one of the most famous people you have that did a testimonial for you is none other than Joanna Penn, friend of the show. Love her. So it was really cool to see her, that she's used your product and that, that how much it's helped her. So we will talk all about what Inbox Done is and your journey and all that sort of fun stuff. But before we do that, as I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a 20-year odyssey. Um, I got started in the late 1990s in possibly the best time to be an 18-year-old because the internet was also becoming an adult. And uh, I got a free dial-up internet account when I enrolled in university. I, I'm born and raised in Australia, so I went to university in, in Brisbane. And honestly, I, I went to university just because I didn't know what else to do. And I, you know, everyone else was doing it. I, I did know I wanted to not have a job. I figured entrepreneurship was the likely avenue since I wasn't born into a wealthy family or wasn't about to get any, you know, some kind of magic lottery winnings coming my way. So I have to find another way to make money. Uh, and the internet was just something I fell in love with uh, far more than my studies, to be absolutely honest. I studied the internet, read forums, bulletin boards, you know, early websites, and uh, loved everything going on there. And of course, dot com boom, number one, you see Amazon, you see eBay. You see all these crazy things like pets.com and you know crazy ideas popping up. So I started a website uh, about a card game called Magic the Gathering, which I played in high school. Um, oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of oh, Magic good. the Gathering, yeah. Good, good. Uh, you're male, so that already gives you a much higher chance <laughs> <laughs> just because of the nature of most I never played it. Game. I just know about it. Yeah, well, it's still going, which is always blows my mind. So yeah. I got in when I was 16. My buddy brought it to school. It's kind of a card game with your dragons, your elves, and it's also competitive like poker and and has a tournament series played around the world so you can play professionally and, and earn a living. Um, I didn't play professionally, but I did play tournaments. Um, really enjoyed it. I love the competitive side of it. And naturally, first website was about that game. Started a little e-commerce store selling the cards I'd win at tournaments. Never got rich from it, but it was such a good learning experience. I learned how to build websites, install basic software, market your website, write articles, publish them, uh, and send cards in the mail. You know, made five hundred dollars a month, a thousand dollars a month while I was in university. Uh, what well, made me hungry for more, uh, but really didn't see that business becoming my real growing up business. It was just slim margins. I actually got bored of the game and sort of left it when I was in my early 20s and started another company while I was in university called Better Edit, which was an online proofreading and editing company, which originally uh, started as just an experiment in can I hire a contractor and deliver a service? Because I didn't want to be selling cards and physical stuff anymore. I wanted to try selling services. And I actually started off as a language translation business and an editing business. I got a little bit better with my sort of strategy and marketing skill and realized I had to narrow in on a niche. And I, through a bit of experimentation, realized university students with English as a second language was a great target market. They had more money to spend. They had a strong need to get better grades at university. So I went after that market. Um, 
became my first, I call it my first real business uh, as I had a team of contractors. I made of just a full-time income, wasn't rich again, but I wasn't, you know, enough to pay the rent and food and, uh, you know, move out of your parents' house and all that sort of stuff after I graduated from university. And that was a great business for how portable and, and, uh, you know, lifestyle I could travel with it. I could run it from a laptop. Um, funnily enough at the time, I, I actually, there's a connection between Inbox done my current company and this business all the way back in the early 2000s, because it was the first time I ever outsourced my email. That business, I was the email person and it was a, a very um, time sensitive job because an, an editing project would come in and, you know, students, they'd often say, I need this back in 12 hours because I got to get handed in. And we took advantage of that and we charged higher rates if their turnaround time was like, you know, 24 hours or less. So we uh, charged more, but then I had to forward an email to the editor and make sure they could do it in time, confirm the payment came through from the client, gave the go-ahead to do the editing work, make sure the job got back in time. So I was just stuck on the email. It was so time-sensitive. So I decided after a trip over to Sydney, I was meant to be seeing things and I was just stuck doing my email the whole time. I got to outsource this. So that was the first time I went through the process of saying, I here I hired an assistant. She was um, a friend from university, and she was about to have her first baby, so stay-at-home mom. And I taught her over a month how to basically be me in this company, doing all the roles that I did, managing it with the email, uh, coordinating the team, sort of doing sales and marketing, and answering any question that came into the inbox. And I delegated it to her. It was confronting because I thought maybe I'd possibly lose sales. She can't answer the questions as well as I can, but. Through training and careful handover, she took over. And I woke up like a month or two later and turned on my computer. My inbox was empty. I thought something was broken with my website. Turned out she had just logged in and answered all the emails before I had woken up. And I had a business there that was pretty much hands off. I had like an hour or two a week of you know big decision making sort of jobs, and that was it. And um, that later, you know, fast forward 15 years, that connected to the idea for Inbox Done, providing email management assistance. But there's a there's obviously 15 years in between that. Um, uh, while I was running the essay editing company, I'm giving the long version here, Jari. So you're getting the, the whole story. <laughs> um, while I was doing this essay editing company, a friend of mine in around the year 2004 says, have you heard of blogging? Would you consider maybe starting a blog? It's great to get traffic from this search engine, Google, which was becoming the dominant search engine. And I'm like, what's a blog? So, uh, you know, everyone has to realize this is before social media. This is before YouTube. This is before Facebook. This is before all of that. Blogging was like the first kind of dynamic social. You can interact with comments and so forth. So I, I learned about it, installed some blogging software. I try and write about essay editing and proofreading to get clients from my business, but it was a really boring topic. And I just hated doing it. So I started a, a hobby blog about entrepreneurship, much like the topic of your podcast. I was trying to just tell stories about being an entrepreneur, uh, everything I'd done in the past with my card game business, my essay editing company, and anything I was thinking about as a young entrepreneur. Uh, and amazingly enough, people started following it. And I uh, built up an audience and started making money from advertising and affiliate income. And in fact, that's when I first connected with Joanna. She was one of my readers of that blog and became one of my first customers of a product I sold called Blog Mastermind. It's the first ever course I ever created. Um, I somehow did not see this coming, but I turned into a teacher and created courses and built a, an what, audience. Um, what was the name of the blog? Uh, the blog back then was called Entrepreneur's Journey. Okay. Very um, 
Very descriptive, terrible domain name. I had entrepreneurs-journey.com. Uh, very hard to spell, had a hyphen in it. So, but you know, it, Google didn't care, sent me traffic. I built a, a following email newsletter, sold a course. Um, it became my main business. I discovered I loved writing. I loved creating teaching products. It was such an elegant business, great profit margins, very small team. So I sold all my other projects. I sold the card game business before that. I sold the essay editing company. And I went 100% into this blogging, teaching, what you'd call today a creator, an influencer. That's basically what I did, um, uh, information marketer. And I had a career of 10 years of selling courses, eBooks, membership site. I still have it. I still have a membership site. I still write a blog and do all that, write my newsletter. Um, and it was an amazing 10 years. I traveled around the world, sat in cafes, writing, sending newsletters, um, connecting with people. Joanna was one of my first sort of case study students of that business, even before the current one. She, being a person like me, she was writing a blog and growing an email database around her topic of book publishing. And we followed the same business model. So she took my course and um, so did other people. It was lots of amazing case studies came out of that, people teaching how to speed read, how to make shampoo, how to bet on sports, um, how to cure your acne, all kinds of great people who just start blogs on these topics and um, you know made a living. Uh, eventually, around 2015, 16, I was kind of not tired of that space, but I didn't want to take the next step. I didn't want to keep being a teacher of how to blog. And it was, as we all know, getting very crowded. Everyone's teaching blogging, YouTube, social media, very, I, got, I felt like one voice of many. And I wasn't excited to kind of keep amplifying what I was doing there. And more importantly, I was way more excited about possibly testing this idea for the company I run today, Inbox Done. So one of my three email managers for my coaching teaching business, her name is Claire, she was showing a lot of leadership um, motivation. She was funny. She always would ask for a raise when she did great work. And I was like, I got to tap into this, this uh, ambition this girl has. So I said to her, I've always had this idea. I wanted to do email management as a company for other entrepreneurs because it's been such a, a game changer for me not having to do my email. And everyone talks about how that's their biggest roadblock. I wake up in the morning, I do email, I do email in my work all day. I go home at night after I put the kids to sleep. I do more emails. So it's this constant problem that people have. So we agreed to co-found the company. Um, it was an experiment. So she would be the first email assistant and I would be the bringing the, the clients. So I went to my my audience, my newsletter, my blog said, hey, does anyone want the same people who manage my email to manage your email? Um, Joanna didn't sign up then, but there was a couple of other people who came through that were good fits and um, became test clients. So we delivered the service for them. We made sure they were happy, made sure there was a profit margin to be made. It was all working well, um, worked well enough that Claire and I said, okay, this is actually going to be a business. Let's register a company. Let's set up a website. And that was six, no, not quite five years ago when we started that part. And, you know, 45, team of 45 now, um, clients from, wow. oh, this is crazy. Like we've, we've got like a vegan bakery, <laughs> a, cel a celebrant who lives on the Caribbean island. We've got used car salesmen, lawyers, doctors, <laughs> dentists, venture capitalists, Joanna Penn type people who are online coaches. Right. So it's everyone's got email and we help them by providing 
uh, executive virtual assistants who step in, learn how to clone them in that role of their email and take over replying to their messages. And uh, that's the business I've been growing for the last five years. I'm the CMO. I do all the marketing to bring mm. in our clients and uh, Claire runs the team. And uh, we built a good little business. So that's the story. In I don't know how long that took. Ten minutes. No, no, that's, <laughs> no that, it's it's funny because, um, yeah, it's just fascinating how the need, like you have your own need. I was talking to someone about this the other day, and they're like, "Oh, you know, the, the inspiration is you scratch your own itch, right?" And yeah. and that's fine, but then you really don't know if that itch is actually a market, right? Like it's hard to do, and it's just so fascinating that. It took you 15 years to kind of get back to the idea of managing your email. Now you manage it for other people. I'm, I'm assuming that you use Inbox Done for your own personal. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you eat your yeah. own dog food, right? I have Alex as my... Well, it was funny because Claire was one of my team members and had a couple of others. And then Claire left to co-found Inbox Done with me once we knew it was working. And I said to Claire, you know, we need to put some people from Inbox Done now into my coaching, teaching business and work out how that's going to work. So it was very circular. That's for sure. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's just fascinating how that works because the the genesis of an idea may take, you know, longer to, to happen. I mean, it's just so funny, like early two thousands, you were doing internet stuff back when internet stuff, I mean, how'd you even do like, transactions? I mean, I don't even, I don't even remember how you I'm trying to remember like the first time I actually bought something online. <laughs> it was a disaster, I think, if, or I had to call or email. I don't even remember. It was some. Well, I can cream. tell you as a, as an entrepreneur selling stuff, the, the first time I did that was selling cards. Uh, with And that, you're quite right. This is before PayPal, even yeah. like PayPal was sort of like the first mainstream payment platform. And I had kids buy a card for me for $5 and they'd send a $5 note in the mail and I'd open it up. You're not supposed to do that. It's definitely illegal to send cash in the mail, but it was $5. Some of them even sent like 50 cent coins as we have back in Australia. So I'd open up and I go, this is a really heavy envelope. And they'd be like $2.50 to buy a card and I'd send it back. And it's, you know, very small margin business, but it was very cute when they did that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just funny how infrastructure works, you know? No, we take it for granted now. Like well, how easy it all is. Oh, 100%. I was talking to someone the other day. They're building companies, startups in Nigeria. And, you know, he he's, I belong to this thing called Founders Network, and I was sort of his onboarding mentor. And, you know, I see what he's trying to do, and he's just doing all these different things and this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, why are you doing so much stuff? And he's like, there's no infrastructure here. Like, mm. okay, we might have internet, but... I mean, there's nothing else here. Like I'm building everything. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. What an opportunity yeah. that is though. Well, yeah, but it's also like you said, and I think it's a great point. Like well, we take stuff for granted, like that there's a payment processor that the other thing was funny. I interviewed someone that lives in Egypt and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, Egypt, how cool, you know, I've heard of it, Benghazi, right. <laughs> or whatever, Cairo. And and I'm like, well, what, what kind of things are you building? And he's like, oh, well, we built the first ever addressing system. And I said, well, what do you mean by addressing system? He's like, there's no addresses in Cairo. Hmm. You just sort of know where it is. And I'm all, hold on. <laughs> you're, you're telling me, like, yeah, some places don't even have street names. I'm all, 
whoa, 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 whoa. How do you get anything shipped? And he's like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, how do you have an e-commerce company when you can't ship anything anywhere? Yeah. Or how do you even like send a Christmas card, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or the other thing that was interesting is he he was also doing something about banking. And I'm like, what do you mean by banking? He's like, we deliver cash for people. And I'm all, what? It's like, yeah, yeah. Someone says I need cash. We go deliver. We go to the bank. We get the cash for them. Hmm. I'm like, what? He's like, yes, because sometimes the bank's not open. And you don't know. Sounds a little bit like uh, the mafia, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds that way, right? But, but, but to your point, the infrastructure is the thing that's always fascinating. Like, we are literally standing on the shoulders of giants when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, and not and just not just uh, giants and ideas, but just technical infrastructure. Like like uh, building a blog when I started was so much harder to get going, and even that was a revolution because before WordPress being one of the early blogging tools to build a website, I, I learned HTML and I hand coded pages, which I then learned how to FTP to upload to a server, and then hoped when I pressed the publish button it looked and rendered correctly and if it didn't that to find where my code was broken i know that still happens today with uh engineers developers but the average person doesn't do that like and i was the average person building a website back then it's just amazing how much it's come how far it's come i mean and even what you're doing here with you know inbox done i mean do, do you have like a distributed team around the world i mean how does it how's it set up so we, from day one, we wanted to hire English as a first language, um, attention to detail, emotional empathy. Because as you can imagine, going into a person's inbox, very personal, very private, you don't want to mess up in that space. And you need to learn how to do some things that you kind of don't want to get lost in translation because you really need to understand the nuance and see the big picture of maybe what does this email do, not just in this one interaction, but as a whole, like what the the process of getting a customer and then onboarding the customer and all those sorts of things. So there's a lot to it because of that. We started mostly with Americans as our initial uh, assistants. And we, even today, when we do hire overseas, it's usually like an Australian to hang, handle that time zone or Western European to handle that time zone. So we're not, and have not gone to low cost sort of virtual assistance. Um, there's great people in those countries like India and the Philippines. And I, I hire from Ukraine a lot for engineers, but that would be like for certain skill sets and things. So we we do have a distributed team, but it's like an, an expat living in Thailand, but they're originally from the States or something like that. And uh, yeah, it's an, it is amazing how even that idea we can do today. So we have a completely remote distributed team that, talks to each other on Slack and Zoom and a few other tools just to coordinate. Uh, I step in and like I do a call with the potential client. If the client signs up, they do a call with an onboarding manager and then they meet their two assistants who are going to take over their email and, and other tasks. And then they begin that handover and cloning process. And we never, like I've never met any of them in person. I never met a client in person. I never met, well, I met Joanna in person, but that was just kind of a conference. Um, and I've never met like, any staff except for my co-founder and a couple of our senior team. And again, it's not because we need to, it's just because it's been fun to do that. So that's the beauty of the internet. No, no way this could have happened before it. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it kind of opens the world, you know? I mean, it's, it's just so fascinating that 
you, you just never, <laughs> never met a customer, never met my customer face to face. Yeah. You could only, only do that through the zoom and the internet world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you, how do you see this scaling though? I mean, clearly people dependent, which I think is like, it's a service that has to be, cause there's some thought, like you can't, you can't just throw a bot at it, right? Like you can't do AI or whatever. I mean, I'm sure. Not yet. No, yeah. Not yet. <laughs> right. I, I think it's going to take a little time for that. Yeah. Yeah, intent and learning, and it's it's a lot harder. So, but well, how do you how do you think this is going to expand? Because I mean, more and more people, it seems, are being, you know, entrepreneurs, authorpreneurs, what Joanna calls them, which I oh, I stole from her, um, solopreneurs, their own company. What, what, how how do you think it's going to evolve and grow? Or are you what what are you thinking in terms of that? Well, the scale question is one we asked almost every phase we we went from here's our two test clients and claire as my co-founder was doing their email just one person and you know the next question is oh can we hire someone train them on the system that claire and i use for my email and these first two clients can they then replicate it step in deliver the service make sure that everything goes smoothly and we can make a profit on what we're paying them taking from a client so that's step one question for scale. And you know, you answer that question, yes, you can do that. And then we're like, okay, so what happens when we have 10 clients? And what happens when we have 20 clients? And I kept asking Claire in particular, because she was the one working with both sides, the client and the assistants in our team. And it's, it is a two-sided marketplace in many ways where we have to be very good at hiring. We have to be very good at training and onboarding. And that's literally all Claire has done for the last five years. She's just built an amazing hiring, training, onboarding system to find the needle in the haystack people to do this job, to very carefully nurture them, get them ready for the role, help them while they're doing the role, uh, make sure they're happy and everything's going well. I've been out there getting clients, but then of course, even when we get the client, there's also making sure the client's a good fit. Are they happy? Um, you know, Is it something that is works for their business and their business model? So that's kind of what we've done. And, and I've been surprised that it has scaled you know even to the point we are today which is 45 team uh, of, of assistants and it it holds pretty solid and I, I know from even looking at the companies who are doing virtual assistant type services or any kind of agency service that's powered by humans more than anything else everything scales but there's always a management layer that scales with it so you have to make sure that part is you pay as much attention to it as just the core service because you know when you've got five people dealing with say 10 clients and you've got one central manager that manager is going to be busy but they're probably going to be okay with it it's 10 clients five team members you can manage that but if there's one manager say claire my co-founder and suddenly she's in charge of 20 assistants and 35 clients suddenly there's no time for her to do anything else. She's constantly putting out fires. You know, she's hiring one day, uh, onboarding the next, you know, answering questions. So that's when it's like, okay, well, we need to bring on uh, a team manager and then we need to bring on a hiring manager. So yeah, we have like a, a, like we call it our management team, which is about six, five, six people. And I've always asked Claire, even recently, I said, so what does this look like? Double the size of our company now? Does it scale? And she's like, you know, it does. It, it, would, it would certainly mean, more management people, but we'd really just be duplicating the systems we have in place now. So bringing on more managers, 
Um, and we always do that. We always grow and we ha- you have to care. It's, it's the, the blessing and the curse of a services business. You can't suddenly take on a thousand new clients, but it forces you to get your systems right as you're going along so that you can carefully scale versus say uh, my coaching business, which was mostly about selling digital products. I could keep scaling really far without necessarily building a huge team because it's all digital delivery. Right. But I, I would still hit a roadblock like um, there's only so much marketing I could do. So I would have to bring in you know new people for advertising. So there's always going to be some component that you hit. You know, I love the theory of constraints. There's always a constraint. I love to that. open up. I love that. That's that's the way I think too. I'm, I'm curious, what, what are some of those lessons you guys learned as you scaled? You mentioned that your co-founder has a bunch of systems in place. I mean, how, I'm fascinated by this because, you know, you're, you're a agency people focused type of company. The only way to scale, I don't think technology, I mean, there's obviously technology to help enhance it. Yep. It's going to be it's a people. challenge to like technology, the people out of it. <laughs> but I, I, I find it fascinating how people do this because I have never been good at scaling like a services business. And so I do know it has a lot to do with the processes and onboard, but I'm just like, if you could just take us through a little bit of how this works, because not, not, and I think this also applies, even if you're a technology company, as you're hiring, it's even more important, like think this through. So yeah, what are some of the like learnings that you've had? The first thing I can say that it was in place from day one, but is so important that it was was the fact that we did specialize and we did niche down to we are email management first. We're not a general virtual assistant company. In fact, we're pretty much the only one I've ever come across that is so focused on this one thing because most virtual assistants will do accounting admin tasks, scheduling, booking, um, social media. And we can do almost all of that, but we're email first and we build a system around that. And because of that, we've been able to productize the service and productize everything around it in the sense that because we're selling one thing, our website's copy is geared to attract and sell that one thing. So it's, it's less confusion. The people who show up ready for it are very ready for it. So we have a fairly high conversion rate for discovery calls, but we probably get less discovery calls than we otherwise would if we called ourselves a general VA service. You know, we're, we're eliminating some people and zeroing on some others. Because of that, and because we do this one thing, we were able to focus on all of our onboarding around how do we deliver this service? How do we take a system that we built and apply it to different types of clients, but we still repeat the same onboarding process. You know, everyone's going to need um, folders, filters, redirects, templates, uh, operating procedures around managing email. And everyone has to have some kind of method of communicating between the assistants and the client to make sure critical information is passed through and everything else is kept away from them so you can, you know, free them up. So because it's so standardized, we can create a process that is in some ways it's it's simple it it wasn't quick to build it but it's simple in principle in the sense that we're doing one thing over and over again and that's huge because there's so many agencies that are service-based agencies who say you know we're your marketing department or we're your website department or could be anything um because of that you get a client who comes in who's looking for growth or to build something 
and you can do it, but it's always done bespoke. It's always like custom for every client. And that just creates, you can see a lot of head nodding here. It creates a yeah, lot of- well, I just, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, I, I like I like that you brought that up. I mean, the focus is the niche down and the focus thing is a very powerful thing. I um so many levels. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm at a I'm at a firm now where we do go-to-market strategy for B2B companies, among other things, sales and marketing. And it's very bespoke. You know, it's creative and very out there. And you know, we do great work, but it's like, is there any similarities? (laughs) I mean, I'm I like think in my head always about systems because I think it was uh Maybe it was Scott Adams, you know, the cartoonist. He's always like, build a skill stack, build systems, don't build, you know, build, build, you know, because the outcome is never guaranteed. But if you continue to a system, eventually you learn and build a, a skill stack that you can deliver because you can't control the outcome. You can only control the effort. And a lot of people get bent about that. Well, what do you mean? You know, performance, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, performance comes with consistent application of, perfect effort. Like the only thing you control, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And I, I'm just, it's interesting. Okay. So, so, so let me just like kind of recap a little bit. Cause I, I, I want to, I'm, I'm fascinated again by the nugget of niche down, have the process built over time. And it, I mean, I'm assuming there's tools involved. I mean, how, how like, as an example, if I was a client, how would I get onboarded? How would I interact? Like, what what's the experience like? Because again, I think to your point, and I think you made a very valid one. A little scary. And here here's the keys to the castle. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that's and scary. and that's probably the area that is the system. Like, there's a hiring system you don't see behind the scenes that we're going through, like a ten step vetting and testing and reference checking and all those sorts of things. And of course, we take people through. But when a client on boards, they're then going through what we call a handover process. And you're, you're quite right. That is the the part where it is a standard procedure that we implement, but it's been developed because, hey, I was the first one. I, you know, All the way back 20 years in my story, I had a company that was working and I was the one answering all these emails. I was following up with potential clients. I understood the service and I was worried, of, you know, I sell this in a certain way. If I I'm not the one writing these emails. What happens? And and there's some information I need and some only I know and some can be duplicated and templated and some can't. So all these kind of variables. So what we do is, and, and some of this was there from day one and some of it we've had to kind of build as we built up more experience. But basically, let's say we're taking over your email, Jari. We're going to, first of all, get to know you and ask you, uh, what are the priorities that's going into this inbox? Who are the most important people when you get an email from them that you want to know about it as soon as it happens? Could be investors, could be clients, could be husband, wife, spouse, you know, whatever it is, tell us. But most of the time, it's 95% of stuff you don't actually need to see or do anything. You know, maybe there is 20% you want to see, but it's like end of the week, you can batch process or you just want a summary drop to you in Slack. Uh, we have a client who said, I never, ever want to go in my inbox again, but I still want to know certain things from the inbox. And wow. I know I'll have to still reply to really? certain things as well. Yeah. So huh. to deal with that kind of situation, um, hmm. yeah, we get a lot of reactions like that. I never have to go into my email and reply ever again. It is possible to go through a delegation process. So, 
And the way that works is then, you know, when we do a handover, and we provide two assistants to every client because we want to have redundancy. So they both learn how to do everything. So one person can have a holiday and sick leave without a break in service for you. So they both step in, they both look at your send folder. How are you writing? What's your writing style? Who are you writing to? Okay, let's build some templates, some systems around common situations. Let's look at what folders and redirects and filters you have. Okay, we'll clean those up, probably reduce them to only the ones that actually are needed. Uh, are there procedures that are triggered by emails? This is actually one of the best things I think about the service. Let's take um, you know new client onboarding process in your company. You get someone buying something and then you might need to add them to a CRM, uh, or maybe a task management software, you know, a Sana, a HubSpot, whatever it is, you got all these different tools. You might need to send a welcome email. You might need to tell the bookkeeper. You might need to issue a receipt. You might need to tell another team member that something else to happen. Like we have real estate agents who have to then tell their property managers, go onboard the new client. So we document that process too. So we handle the email, but we'll also step in and update the software. We'll also update other team members. And the goal is to get that founder or that CEO or that manager, whoever we're doing the email for, out of the loop of as many of those processes as possible. So we'll step in and we'll learn all that. Now, this can take one, two, even three, four months to fully grasp, depending on how complex your inbox is to start with. But what happens is we probably take over 75, 80% month one, the, the routine stuff, the everyday stuff. You know, You don't need to see all these newsletters, see all the software updates, you know, the, you know, you just bought this product receipt or, you know, you got to renew this software, everything that's going in there. That's kind of common. Um, maybe you say, I do want this information, but I want it collected and delivered to me once a week in a, in a PDF or a, a file. And that's how we got that client out of the inbox. He wanted to see newsletters and he wanted to see certain emails. And sometimes we got an email we couldn't answer. We had to ask him, we did it through Slack. So we'd you know, up, we got an email, we can't answer it. Here's the question. He writes the answer in Slack. We write the email and send it. But that's like 1% of the emails. Most of it we could do without him. Hmm. And then uh, over time, that gets better because we've deal dealt with more emails. We've dealt with more uncommon situations and we've come up with systems to deal with it so we don't have to ask you a second time. Uh, and then sure, maybe there's always going to be 5% that need to be addressed by you. And they'll go into you know a Jari folder in your case, and you can deal with that once a week, once a month. Um, we'll obviously tell you the urgent stuff as soon as it hits, so you can deal with that urgently. Uh, me personally, I go in maybe once every two months to the Yarrow folder, and I'll just go through whatever is in there because it's not going to be urgent stuff because I've been told by Slack anything that was urgent throughout the time. Um, and I, I have a lot of stuff in there. Might be like picking guests on my podcast. You know, who do I want to say yes to? Um, sometimes it's like an angel investment update, uh, just to read the information about how a company's going. Um, you know, the stuff that's not non-critical but still valuable and relevant to me. And uh, that's great because I know critical and important is done by assistants. Critical important need my attention. Maybe once a week, I get one of those kind of emails and I'll be told about it in Slack. So I'll, I'll make sure I can deal with it straight away. And the other 90% are just being dealt with and replied to. That's the real magic. Other people are actually writing those replies and sending those emails. And they're, they're being customer service. They're being an email receptionist. They're kind of being a project manager. You know, they, can, they can really take over a, a big chunk of what used to be your responsibility. Wow. Do you need this, Jerry? That's the closing <laughs> sales pitch. Can I, can I sign you up? I didn't now? think this was going to be a sales <laughs> demo, but well, I mean, 
what I, the number that I keyed up on was really over time, only 5% of the email in that one case is actually you now have to deal with, which is super interesting in one sense, because as you, I guess, as you build systems in your, for your company, you know, it's, it's really, it's interesting. It's almost like you're like forcing someone to really think about, okay, what matters? And a lot of times entrepreneurs are just like, oh, I'm just going to work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. And, you know, I always say that um, most of creation, like 80% of creation is templated. It's a framework. It's like what a process. And the other 20% is creativity. Like I want to spend my time, my 20% on creativity. I don't want to spend my 80% on setting up the template and like, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever, or answering the emails, you know? Um, yeah. I think that, oh, wow, that's so fascinating. Cause when I was, when I was watching uh, Joanna's testimonial, the example she gave was that she gets emails in from like her class or people contact her about, I want to write a book. And one of the things, if you just know Joanna is like, she writes books on how to write books. I think she's probably got, it feels like a billion of them. Probably got like 50. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Like she's got a book on how to write a book about anything. And so like, if you, <laughs> you don't do the homework to be like the question you have to ask her, she's probably answered somewhere. Right. And I think that was her example. She's like, well, someone answers, you know, I want to be able to say, Oh, here it is. Right. Um, and that's what she's found is a huge, huge benefit, of course, in any classes that she may do and stuff. But so, yeah. But there's also the nuance of like, here's the information to answer your question, but here's my personal, uh, no, like acknowledgement of your existence and your situation, which is really important for a coach type person because yes. the person who buys from you is the one who feels like this coach actually cares about my progress. So sometimes, like in a Joanna situation, there may be a templated process that your email manager can set up. And then Joanna just needs to come in and, and write one or two sentences to open it up, or maybe even not. Like I remember, cause I have a coaching business too. I was teaching people how to make money from blogging and a lot of potential customers wanted the reply from Yarrow just to kind of get them over the line to, to buy into my course. And Often they just wanted to tell their like situation, you know, I've got this topic and I'm not sure if it could work as one to make money. And then they want Yara to come along and say, this is why it will work or why it won't work. And they want the 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 reassurance. Yeah. So sure. I would step in and often write, you know, my response. But what was interesting is I had my email assistants um, do this for most situations sometimes it was a complex question they would still pass it on to me but over time because i said here go through my course email assistant you study my course because i want you to not just clone the systems i want you to maybe clone some of my knowledge too so if you take my courses and you start to see the patterns of the questions and start to understand the kind of emotional background behind why people are asking these questions you can answer them in the same way that i would and then even better, you could say, listen, well, your topic sounds like it could make money, but what you should do is Yarrow has this process inside his course about how you do this research to validate that there actually is people spending money in this niche. Um, and what you're looking to do is, you know, ask by people and have do some private coaching, yada, you know, my methodology. And there's no way they could have done that from day one, but by going through my course and answering the questions over and over again, 
they get better at answering that kind of question than I was because I was in a hurry all the time. I'd be like, write one sentence. Yes, I think you can make money because obviously people still get pimples and and that's something you can help them with, right? Where my assistants would be like, yes, that's a great potential topic. What you should do now is look to see who is also selling to the acne treatment market. You know, what are the common products and services? And they'd have like a template and some personalized answer that would be three or four paragraphs. And there's no way I would do that because I didn't have time. I was doing the creative tasks, like you said, creating the next course, uh, writing the next book, you know, writing the next newsletter, all those yep. sorts of things. Yeah. That, I think it's the things that you uniquely can only do. That That's the way I always try to think of it. And, and I have a hard time with this. That's why I'm, again, I'm fascinated by this. The idea of outsourcing what others can do and only doing what you are uniquely qualified and, or you're the only one that can do. And I'll, I'll give you the best example, this podcast. I used to do a lot of the show notes. I used to actually, you know, listen and write them all up. And I just, it's, a, it's the limiting factor. I mean, these are 40, 45 minute shows. Am I going to listen for an hour and write it up? It's just, it, it, it was just still a bottleneck just because I've got to also do the voiceovers. But then I realized I go, well, maybe I should hire someone. So I hired Alyssa to do this. And this is like the best thing in the world I ever did because it's like, here's another one. And she does the notes. I bring it back. I mean, I do the voiceover, but I can't tell you the block I had to be like, do I, yeah. I can't, it's, you know, and then I just realized, no, she, and, and what's great is she's really good at it and she has a different perspective. To your point, she actually learns, oh, this is what actually Jari want, would key in on, you know? So interesting. You're, 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 yeah, you're talking about the joy of discovering delegation when you haven't done it before. I, I even, uh, it's a bit meta, but creating Inbox Done as a company I've gone through that joy too, where because I sit on one side of the business, so I've created a marketing system where a potential client will Google search us, find our business, probably watch some testimonials, read our website, yeah. get ready. They're so they're hungry for it now, but they're still like not sure. Then they'll do a discovery call. On the call, we'll deal with it, whatever their issues are, talk about our handover process. They'll purchase, they'll move on to the onboarding team and they'll go through this whole process and then they'll, you know, hopefully keep paying their bill once a month and we'll have a happy client. And all of that is being run by a team and, and some software and processes are in place. And I'm like, this happens and there's 45 people dealing with all these different clients and I'm not involved in any of that. I'm like, wow, it's like a, you know, that's what it feels like to build a business versus, you know, some businesses when you're at the start, you, you feel like, oh, the value creation is so inherently tied to you it feels more like a job where in this case the value creation is inherently tied to a team and processes so it does feel like you've built something a machine that that runs without you and then that's uh that's when you feel like a, a true entrepreneur in, in inverted commas i think yeah i agree i agree it's hardest thing to do i have a hard time <laughs> constantly you know, <laughs> you gotta delegate I mean, more by the sounds of things I, well i know no i could <laughs> i mean i could delegate the production of the show i just don't and yeah, you know, I, I, I've just been. This has been this struggle my whole career. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you know your roadblock. Your yeah, I do, and I'm trying to work <laughs> on it. But what's funny is this this idea. And, and again, I just I want to hammer this home because I think it's important for entrepreneurs to learn. Is what can you and only you do 
and what can others do? Because once you figure that out, you have to spend more time on the things that are really important. And I think you've proven that, you know, inbox done is, you know, such a great idea. I'm glad it's successfully being scaled. And um, this has just been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. This has just been a great lesson in delegation, system building, knowing what you're good at and the journey 20 years later, you build what you started out <laughs> yeah. with. It's just so awesome. Yeah. I'll connect it. No, I, yeah. Oh, I appreciate it, Jerry. It is. It's, that's what entrepreneurs is about building something. And uh, there's a lot to learn and a lot to get right. And it does take time, but um, yeah, when you get somewhere and everyone somewhere is different, but you know, it's, it's always very satisfying. That's great. Thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, stay safe. No, no problem. And thanks for having me. And I should say it's inboxdone.com for anyone who actually wants email management services. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. I will put a link yeah. in the show notes. Um, yeah. And everyone that, that's a fan of the show knows I love authors. And of course, if, you know, if Joanna Penn's using it, I don't know. It seems like it's pretty good. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Yaro, uh, for, wow, awesome interview. I mean, it's so funny because uh, I remember when we, once we finished the interview, I remember you were part of the pro blogger. <laughs> you used to blog with, with, with them over there. So it was really cool to kind of come full circle, right? It's always cool to see how people have uh, built their lives, you know, when you knew them back in the day, so to speak. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Yaro. Like many other guests, Yarrow's original idea came from a problem he faced, but he still spent time trying out and validating the idea to make sure it was marketable before jumping in headfirst into offering it at scale. Yeah, I mean, gosh, how many of my guests have been like, yeah, I had this problem and I tried to solve it? Well, it's usually the impetus of an idea, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually a viable business. So, you need to ask yourself questions like, how many customers do I really have for this? How am I going to validate it? How many customers should I talk to? What are the like points in the process that I should try to see if this is something that will actually be scalable? And when I mean scalable, I don't mean billions of dollars, but I just mean scalable into a business that you could actually live on. So try to think of those things as you kind of work through your idea. Yaro describes some of the processes he and his co-founder used to scale. They ask what it would look like and what they would need to take on more clients. As the company grows, they know they need to also add managers in order to coordinate and oversee teams. I just love the story of Google pretty much eliminating middle management and the absolute chaos <laughs> that ensued because you need, whether people like it or not, especially in the tech field, they think management is some worthless skill. You need someone to coordinate, right? The the troops and most classic examples of these are how armies organize themselves. There is a reason why you have to have layers of, of hierarchy. It's just unmanageable to have it flat. And those folks that think they can do that, well, more power to them, but they're going to fail for sure. It just doesn't scale. So as you build your business, ask yourself the questions, you know, how many people do I need or will I have before I have to add a management layer? And again, the management layer, again, it don't, it's not like they don't 
quote unquote do anything. I mean, they're managing humans, but like think about the structure because what will happen is as you scale, and when I mean scale, you know, from a couple of people to a dozen people to 25 to 50, um, you'll start to see the challenges of flat organizations. And actually a long time ago wrote, uh, wrote an article called a flat to functional <laughs> organization because it's such a huge problem in startups. And again, people don't respect the art and craft of actually managing the people that are doing the work. Inbox Done illustrates the power of delegation in order to grow a successful business. The more you can delegate, the more you can focus on the work that only you can do. While it may take some time up front to put the systems in place, eventually you will free up more of your time for other things. And boy, do I learn this one the hard way every time. I mean, even to this day, I like I do everything on this podcast. Not everything. Al- Alyssa does the show notes, which I'm reading right now, which are awesome, by the way. But yeah, delegation is a hard thing to do and let kind of let go of what you think is your your zone of genius or whatever we want to call it. But it's so important because I am learning more and more that, you know, obviously Yaro's right. Like focus on what you can only do. Try to delegate as much as you can when you can. Now, of course, sometimes you don't have the money. So I get it, right? So you need really need to ask yourself questions like, What's the thing that only I can do right now? I mean, it may, may change. What are things, what are systems I can build in place so I could delegate out the work that's, you know, needs to get done, but can be done by someone else? And then at what point do I need to do that? And again, there's going to be points. Like, I'm just, you know, it's obvious, right? I don't have enough money to hire a virtual assistant. Therefore, I have to do the work. But you should be thinking about how do I build those things up? So... There you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from my wonderful interview with Yaro. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.